Welcome. This is the weekly Sunday sermon from Rancho Baptist Church in Temecula, California. You can find us at ranchobaptistchurch.org. This week's message by Pastor Jason Swanson, the Gospel of John that you may believe, Jesus is God. The original date of this message was the 22nd of January, 2023. Good morning. I'm Pastor Jason, and I have the privilege of bringing us the Word Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, just soaking in the truths of the Gospel of John, deep, profound truths as we're going to see this morning. If you have your Bibles, this morning I'd like to begin in Luke chapter 11. I believe this is a a, a good way to, to set the table. For what we are going to see in the Word of God this morning, the all-sufficient, oh-so-powerful, inspired Word of God. As we will see most emphatically that Jesus is God. By His own declaration, by His own testimony, But interestingly enough, we will see that not all believe Jesus to be God. And that is indeed the case here. In Luke chapter 11, beginning at verse 14. Jesus is the great divider. He is the one who will divide all. There's only going to be two kinds of people in this world when it comes to the judgment of the Lord Jesus Christ. Those who believe unto Him for salvation and everyone else who does not. And look at what happens here. It's amazing to think that the Son of God, God in flesh, dwelt among men and did things that, mirac- that were beyond miraculous and yet people missed Him. Jews missed him. The Jewish leaders missed him. May you and I not miss him. And he, speaking of Jesus, was casting out a demon. And it was mute. When the demon was gone out, the mute man spoke, and the crowds were amazed. But some of them said, He casts out demons by Beelzebul, the ruler of the demons, speaking of Satan. Others, to test him, were demanding of him a sign from heaven. But he knew their thoughts and said to them, Any kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and a house divided against itself falls. If Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebul. And if I by Beelzebul cast out demons, by whom do your sons cast them out? So they will be your judges. But if I cast out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own house, his possessions are undisturbed. But when someone stronger than he attacks him and overpowers him, he takes away from him all his armor on which he had relied and distributes his plunder. He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. Jesus is saying very emphatically to all those listening and to those that were accusing him of doing 
all of his miraculous wonders in particular, the casting out of this demon in this particular man and in this particular instance, ascribing all that to the power of Satan, he's letting them know unequivocally that I am God and that Satan cannot stand against me and that I am here to render everything that Satan has done null and void. And what I am here to do is to offer eternal life and to take those shackles of sin that are wrapped around each one of your feet, even though you don't recognize it, and the darkness that you live in, and you being a slave to Satan, I am here to free you from that. And everything that I do is done in the power of God. Why? Because I am God. And there is no distinction between me and God the Father. So all take heed and all take notice that I alone am God. That is where Jesus is coming from in Luke 11. And that is what we see in in John chapter 5. Recognize this morning as we turn to John chapter 5 where we've been and what we've seen already up to this point. We've seen Jesus on a mission. And He is on a mission to save the lost. And he starts in the Gospel of John with the mission to save John the Baptist. Right? He he seeks out John the Baptist. He spends time with John the Baptist. And then we see his own disciples called to himself, saved. We see Andrew. We see Peter. We see Philip. We we see Nathaniel. And then then in, in three, what did we see? We saw Nicodemus coming to him at night. And what does Jesus do? He's he's pulling Nicodemus to him. Causing him to believe in him. Meeting him that night. Why? Because he desires that none would be lost. But he's not done, right? Then he goes through Samaria. He doesn't have to go through Samaria. But that's God's heart. So he reaches out to the Samaritans through this outcast of Samaria. And all of this is grace, 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 miracle, grace, more grace, miracle, more grace. He's shouting, what? I am God. Letting them all know. And then we get to the official and his family and how they respond to what Jesus does in this miracle for his son. And then we get to chapter 5. And everything begins to change. Because what we see here is a miracle. Yes, it is a miracle. Jesus goes all the way to Jerusalem. And remember, he's already told us that his job is to do the will of the Father and the work of the Father. So of all of those to choose, God the Father said, that one. And Jesus said, okay, that one. And he heals that one man. And yet we see no faith accompanying him. No belief in Jesus. No understanding of what it means to have the Son of God come and heal you physically, that there should be more to His story than just Him being healed physically. That Jesus wants to impart to Him as He did the Samaritan woman living water. But He misses it and so does the Jewish leaders. And all they see in Jesus is is someone who has come in and and defied their religion their man-made religion, and all the rules that they had for the Sabbath. 
And we see that that defiance that they believe is happening in Jesus pushes them over the edge. And now all they can think about and all they have is red in their eyes and they have marked Jesus. And they're going after Jesus and they're making a death threat towards Jesus, about Jesus. And in the same way, then Luke 11, they miss Jesus. These men miss Jesus dramatically. They miss him. And what starts all of this is verse 17 that we looked at last week. As Jesus answers them, hey, why are you doing this on the Sabbath? This is wrong. This man shouldn't be walking around with his mat on the Sabbath, even though that wasn't against the law of God. But he answered them, My father is working until now, and I myself am working. And now picking it up in verses 18 to 30. Let's read the the word of God together. I out loud. You following along. The wonderful word of God, which is a testimony by the Lord Jesus Christ as to who he is. If you ever stumble upon someone who says, Jesus doesn't claim to be God, what do you do with that? What do you do with them? You take him to the Gospel of John. And if you want, you can take him right here. You can use the very words of Jesus because you don't want to give him your thoughts. You want to give him the word of God. But you could take them to John 1.1 as well. But this is Jesus' response. For this reason, therefore, the Jews were seeking all the more to what? To kill him. Because he not only was breaking the Sabbath, but also was calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Therefore, Jesus answered and was saying to them, he's now going to let them know, I am God. Truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, these things the son also does in like manner. For the father loves the son and shows him all things that he himself is doing. And the father will show him greater works than these so that you will marvel. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son also gives life to whom he wishes. For not even the Father judges anyone, but he has given all judgment to the Son, so that all will honor the Son even as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but has passed out of death into life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming, and now is, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For just as the Father has life in himself, even so he gave to the Son also to have life in himself. And he gave him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming in which all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and will come forth. Those who did the good deeds to a resurrection of life, those who committed the evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. I can do nothing on my own initiative. As I hear, I judge. 
and my judgment is just because I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And so reads the word of God. This is a meaty passage. There is so much truth contained in here that that all week I, I kept changing my outline. I kept emphasizing this, then emphasizing that. I'm wondering, man, wh- where do I go with this? I don't want this to be some, theologic, some class on theology. I want this to be able to speak to our hearts, to inform our minds that we might leave here today with a greater understanding of who Jesus Christ is. And as I poured over this passage, the Lord kept bringing me back to 22 and 23. I believe this is, this is the center point. This, is, this would be the thesis if, if this were a paper. This is what this all hinges on. And I, and I believe that everything, even before this and going from here on, is all about this. Yes, the purpose for John writing this gospel is so that you and I might believe that Jesus Christ is God, that He is the Messiah, and that believing that you might have life and have it abundantly But this is what the crux of the issue is. What do you do with Jesus? And how you respond to Him. And what you believe about Him. Will change your entire resting place for all of eternity. As well as your life here on this earth. Look at what it says. For not even the Father judges anyone, but has given all judgment to the Son. How does that happen? God the Son is God. Jesus is God. So there's something that He wasn't given? That now God the Father is saying, no, this is what I am giving to Him. And notice why He was given this. So that all will honor the Son even as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent Him. It's all about honoring the Son. That's why Jesus says this. He's letting them know, you are not honoring me, and when you don't honor me, you're not honoring the Father. We we could point back to Luke 11, and we could say the same thing. That's why it was so incredibly wrong that they attributed the work that Jesus Christ was doing, in particular His miracles, and saying, oh no, that's Satan doing that. That is the unpardonable sin. That is the wrong thing that you could ever do in in this life. Not in our life, in their life, because Jesus Christ lived among them. And they were attesting. They were saying that the very work of God that was evident right before them was not God's work. And God the Father is letting us know just how important the Son is. And that He is indeed God. And that we must all live our lives answering this question, do you honor the Son? Do you honor Jesus Christ? First, do you honor Him as your Savior? Do you believe unto Him? Do you regard Him? Do you respect Him? Do you have reverence towards Him for all that He is and what that means? That is the central issue of what is going on. That they are not regarding Jesus for who He is and all that He has done. They are not honoring Him. And this shouldn't surprise us. 
at least for them, it should surprise us in our own lives that at times we don't honor him, that we, we, we push him aside. Why? Because the fear of man comes in. And so instead of taking that, 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 that little feeling that we get from the Spirit, that, that prick in our heart, as we're talking with our neighbor and, and a beautiful window of opportunity opens for us to step in and share our faith with them, and what do we do? We back away. We just miss this opportunity to regard Jesus as the most important thing in our life. And that is what is missing here. Among these these leaders that were supposed to be pointing people to God, that instead actually were detracting, pulling away people and more and more people from God and getting to the point to where they actually decided it would be better if we just killed him. And so what we see this morning is Jesus' response. Many, many people have actually taken the lead from these men and tried to dismantle Jesus and prove that he is indeed not the Son of God. They've attacked the virgin birth and said, oh no, that couldn't have happened. They've attacked this very resurrection and said, oh no, that couldn't have happened. There's been those that have said, oh well, well, he's fully man, but he's not fully God. Or he's fully God, but he's not fully man. All of those kinds of variances of who Jesus is is missing the mark. Jesus is God. We see this emphatically, not not by my mouth, not by your mouth, but from his mouth. Jesus lets us know exactly who he is in, in, in probably the most profound way. In any of the Gospels, this is the, the fullest theology of, of really the Trinity in the way that Jesus Christ as God the Son relates with God the Father. And as such, this is so sweet because it gives us a glimpse into just how wonderful our salvation is and God's plan going forward from the, what, what, whatever eternity past looks like for God. But we need the Lord's help. I don't want to be the one speaking this morning. I want the Holy Spirit to take over and impress upon our hearts all that God wants to teach us this morning. So let me just stop and and pray and give our time over to Him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your all-sufficient Word. Lord, we know that You are good. And all that You do is good. We know that Your Word is true. And yet we know that we are finite and that you are infinite. That you are perfect and we are imperfect. That you have all knowledge and you are all knowledge. And we are lacking. So open our minds, Lord. Open our hearts this morning. And allow us to truly grasp the significance of who you are, Lord Jesus and how you relate to the Father, and what it means to to us, and how marvelous it is that as we look at your word, that we see, Lord Jesus, that you are unlike any other, that you are indeed God, and your testimony proclaims that. Your word teaches that. Help us to believe that and to walk in that truth as only you can through your Spirit. For it's in the name of Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen. So notice as 
as we look at this background, so Jesus heals this, this one man. And when he heals them, the, the Jewish leaders get all upset with him. Why? Because, well, this man's walking around carrying his mat. And then they hear that it was Jesus who did this, so then they go after Jesus. And, and they're upset because Jesus is doing these things on the Sabbath. But notice what Jesus goes after as he's defending himself. He doesn't go after their, their view of the Sabbath. He doesn't go after their reconstruction of, really, faith. He, he doesn't try to correct that. Why? Because that wouldn't do any good. He knows what he has to share with them and make so clear is that he indeed is God. You see, in their framework, there was only one that they could recognize was able to work on the Sabbath, and that is God. They, they all recognize that. They, they understood that if, that if God were to stop working on the Sabbath, that everything would just unravel. And so, so God was the one that they said, hey, yes, he can work on the Sabbath, but everybody else, you must le live under our rules and regulations. And Jesus Christ is saying, hey, yes, I know what it says and that the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath, but you know what? It's even more than that. I'm not the Sabbath. I'm not man. I am God. I made both. And as a result, I'm not limited to the Sabbath, and I'm not limited to your perspective because I'm God. And you know what? I'm not even going to get into the Sabbath. I'm going to let you know first and foremost who I am and who I exist in a relationship with and what I can give you. And what will happen if you continue to reject me? And who will you will see me as the next time I come? So Jesus proves that he's God, and he does it in these four distinct ways, revealing first that he and the Father are one. We're going to see that in verse 18. They are one in what? In nature. They are one in their essence. They are one in their being. Second, that he and the Father are one in their actions. That when Jesus does what he does, it is an exact representation of God the Father at work. And so they are one and the same in their action. And then, oh, so encouraging, the third thing that we will see is that he and the Father are one in their power to give life. It's just not talk. Jesus grants not just physical life, but he grants eternal life, spiritual life. He is the only one that can do that because he is the possessor of life. And then fourth, he and the Father are one in their power to judge, in their power to judge Notice, I don't say that they are one in their authority to judge because we're going to see that the Father gives up that authority and gives it over to the Son. We're going to see this relationship of God the Father and God the Son and how beautiful it is, but I must confess that it is well beyond me. And it's well beyond you. And it is so good that our God has, has given us this example of the way that the God the Father and God the Son relate with one another. But at the same time, it is far beyond what we can truly understand. Because God is outside of time. So even as we look at this, we might start to think, oh, this all happened right at this time. No, God has existed forever. 
And yet in his plan of redemption, part of all of that meant that God the Father would give this authority to the Son that he would stand as judge. Do you recognize that? That at the voice of Jesus, everyone will be raised. Those that believe in Jesus and have trusted Him as Savior, including Old Testament saints, including those that, that will believe in the tribulation and that will go on into the millennium. They, they, they will be raised by the Lord Jesus Christ into a glorified body where they will enjoy God forever, but then there are the others who will be raised at a different time. And they will be raised with a new glorified body that they might suffer in eternal torment forever and ever and ever. And do you know who the one is that will judge them? Who the one is that will say, what have you done with me? Did you believe what you heard? That's where we're going this morning. And so what do we see first? First, we see that in Jesus' response, and this is implied because we don't actually see it said that Jesus is equal to God, but it's understood. Verse 17, my father is working until now and I myself am working. That is what he was saying. Hey, I and the father are one. That's why I can do this. I'm God. That's why they respond, not just getting upset, but wanting to kill him. For this reason, verse 18, therefore the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him because he not only was breaking the Sabbath, but also was calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. What is Jesus saying? He is saying that I am and God the Father, we have one nature, one and the same. What does that mean? That means everything that you guys know about Yahweh and everything that you have learned from the Word of God and the Old Testament Scriptures, all of God's perfect holiness, all of God's incredible power, perfection in power, His perfection in knowledge, all of that exists with me because I am God. We are one and the same. I am the physical representation of God. That is what He means. That is what is being stated when, when we see this, that, that Jesus Christ is letting us all know that He and the Father are one in nature, one in essence, one in being. Jesus is saying this, everything that makes God who He is, His, His very nature, His self-existence, the fact that He is eternal, that He is all-powerful, all-knowing, that He is spirit, that He is one God in three persons, all of that, all the godness of God, I have. I am God. How would the Jews respond to this? They would say, no, you're not. You're a man like the rest of us. In fact, aren't you just from right over there? That little town of Nazareth? Are you kidding me? Why? Because no one claims to be God, especially this Galilee. But he was God. He is God. And he will forever be God. God in flesh. Consider that. 
that whenever he chooses to, to take us into the eternal time with God, the eternal kingdom, that Jesus Christ will be the only person of the Godhead that we will be able to physically see and touch and worship like that. That he is the exact representation of God. When it says he is king, he is king. It's not just a song we sing. When it says he judges, he will judge. He will be the righteous, just judge that all will stand before. We do not know him as We'll get to in Revelation. And that is why he responds the way that he does. He wants them to know that he is indeed God. And that he then is the only one who can do what he does. And that is what we see in in verse 19 and going on to 20. Look at how Jesus answers. He doesn't try to defend anything about the Sabbath. He goes right for who he is in his relationship with God the Father. Therefore, Jesus answered and was saying to them, truly, truly, I say to you, that's his way of saying, hey, listen to me. What I'm going to say right now is something that is undeniable. It's something that can't be contradicted. It's something that you can't reason away. And he only gives so many of these statements. And it's supposed to be emphatic. It's supposed to be dogmatic. This is true, true. They, they, they would do the same thing in our tribe. In the vernacular there, in the Siawi language, by adding two words together, giving it more importance, more emphasis. That's what Jesus is saying. Listen to me. This is oh so significant. This will change everything for you if you understand it. This is what I want you to know. That he and the Father are what? They are one in their actions. They are one in their actions. What is Jesus saying? All that I do, I've learned from God the Father. Notice God the Father and what he does. Verse 20. First, he loves the Son. They exist in an eternal, loving relationship. That is good for us to be reminded of and to recognize. Because God is love. He has no other choice because that is who he is at at the innermost of his being, going back to his nature. Jesus is exactly the same. He can never stop loving. But that doesn't mean that he also is not going to be judge. He can hold those two together. And at some point, his entire wrath will be poured out upon humanity. And right now, it's God's grace that is holding that back. What he's saying is if you want to see and you want to understand the kind of work the Father does, then watch me and look at my work. Because my work is the work of the Father. All that the Father did before, before your forefathers, leading them like he did out of Egypt. I am going to do the same thing. Why? Because I am God. Not I too am God, as in I am a second God. No, I am God. We are three in one. As much as I can't even say that we are because it's one God. Equal in their divine qualities. Equal in their divine perfections, equal in their divine essence, 
distinct in what? In their function and role. That is what we're going to see. That is why we see here that the Father does what? He shows the Son. God the Father is the revealer, if that's the way you want to look at it. God God the Father shows Jesus Christ what needs to be done. But Jesus is God. Why would he need God the Father to show him? To reveal to us this this submissiveness on the side of Jesus. That this plan of redemption, who was the one that decreed it? It was God the Father. Who was the one that came up with it? It was God the Father. What does Jesus do? He is the one that acts it out. He is the one who walks forward in obedience. That is why he said, I do the will of God and I do the work of God. Whatever God the Father tells me to do, that is what I do. And that is how we have existed. Always. will always continue to exist. It is why Jesus, at the end of the millennium, he gives the kingdom over to the Father. But, but can we truly grasp this and understand this? I think if we look at our own families, you, you, you can get glimpses of this. Perhaps that's the reason why when God gives us this example, he calls himself Father and, and Jesus the Son. Because we know the importance of the role that our, that our parents play in our lives, do we not? How much of an influence does your mom and dad, how much do they have on you? I don't just look like my mom, I act like my mom. I clean the dishes the way that my mom cleans the dishes. And in my own family... We don't have any Boston Celtics fans. Do you know why? Because I'm a tried and true Laker fan. Don't come in my house if you're a, I'm just kidding. And, and that's passed on. My boys, well, all but one of them, I'm not going to tell you which one, is a tried and true Laker fan. My wife is a Laker fan. By God's grace, her parents were Laker fans. My, my boys, we, they, they don't have motorcycles. We don't go dirt biking. We go surfing. We go snowboarding. We do downhill mountain biking. Why? Because it's what I do. They, they, they got that from me. We're into games as a family. All my, all my kids love to play games. Why? Because my wife's totally into games. We rub off on each other. Why? Because they see all of these things that matter to us, and it becomes something that matters to them. In some form, that is what Jesus is saying. I've learned from the Father, and I won't do anything unless it's what he tells me to do. It's where we're going to go in, in verse 30 when we do get back to John 5. That everything that he does is what the Father has told him to do. It's the will of the Father. And so all these actions, all that he is doing, are all to represent, to show, hey, this is God the Father. Alive, living here, right now among us. And yet there is a distinction in their, in their roles and their responsibilities and, and the work that they do uh, among the Trinity. We cannot say that it was the Holy Spirit who died upon the cross. In one sense, you might be able to argue that, but no, the, the reality is that is a, a function that is reserved for who? The Son of Man. And that is why we see what we see in Scripture here. 
That this is given to, this authority to judge is given to who? The Son of Man, because he is uniquely qualified. It's that person in the Godhead who took on human form and human flesh, who can identify with us and yet was without sin. Amen? That gives us that hope. So he and the Father are, are one in their nature. He and the Father are one in their actions. He and the Father are one in their power to give life. Look at verse 21. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son also gives life to whom He wishes. Jesus is letting all of them know, hey, you know what? It's not just that I can heal somebody that's, that's been paralyzed. It's not just that I can turn water into wine. No, I've been given a power greater than you guys have even seen yet. You're, you're going to see it when we get to John 11. You're going to see it with my friend Lazarus. But that's not even the, the tip of the iceberg of the power that has been given me to give life because I'm going to give life to millions if not billions of people. Eternal life. All those who believe in me, they will be resurrected to a new life, an eternal life. That's what he's saying. And the Jews that are listening, they would get this. Why? Because they understand that, that life is something that only God holds. They would think back to Deuteronomy 32, verse 39. See now that I, I am He, and there is no God besides me. It is I who put to death and give life. I have wounded, and it is I who heal. And there is no one who can deliver from my hand. No doubt they, they think about 1 Samuel 2, 6. The Lord kills and makes alive. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. This is Old Testament truth as well. Why? Because God doesn't change. His truth doesn't change. They'd think about Elijah and the widow's son. And that it wasn't the power of Elijah that did that, but the power of God. That's who they would equate this with. They would recognize that Jesus saying, I am God, and, and whatever power God the Father put on display and showed you in the past, that same power is mine at my disposal because I, too, am God. But what do you do with the, the last half of, of verse 21? Even so, the Son also gives life to whom He wishes. That means desires. That means He's choosing this person over that person. What do, you, what do you do with that? What do you do with last week? That of all those people, do, do you not believe that Jesus had the power to heal all that were there that day? He did. So who is in the driver's seat of salvation? Is it you or is it God? Was it your desire that saved you or was it the desire of Jesus? Scripture says it is His desire. And this makes grace oh so wonderful because we recognize that it was nothing that we did. That it was all that He did. Even the desire that He desires who would be saved. That He exercises His will. That it is his desire that leads someone to himself. This is what we see in Ephesians 1, 30, or 3 to 7. We see, we see this in 1 Peter, 2 Peter, all, all over the place in Scripture. 
And what is also encouraging that when we get to John 6, we're, we're going to see it's because of this that then Jesus Christ can, can talk about his sheep and say, hey, not one of them is going to go astray. I'm not going to let one of them out of my reach. And we can know that we are indeed his. But this truth that Jesus has the power to give life is seen also in 24 to 26. Recognize that it's this context that we have this verse. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but is passed out of death and into life. What is oh so encouraging about this verse is this word passed. It's in a, a tense in the Greek that means it happened one time in the past but has ongoing results into the present, into tomorrow, into the next day. Meaning that he's letting us know emphatically that the moment that you believed, that at that point you passed out of death into life, you came from the darkness into the light, and today you are still in the light. You are still in that life in Jesus Christ. And tomorrow, you will still be in that life. And the next day, you will still be in that life. All the way into eternity, never again will death be a part of your life. That's what he's saying. And it's all based upon Jesus Christ and what he does is the act of salvation, bringing us to himself, saving us. And one day, being the righteous, just judge who will send those who did not believe him into eternal torment. Notice how someone is saved. You hear the word of God and you believe. Is, is salvation complicated? I didn't ask if it's difficult to get saved. What I asked is salvation complicated. Are there many working parts? Is it a, a puzzle with a thousand pieces and you have to get all these pieces all lined up in order for it to just all fall into place and, oh, now I know I'm saved. No. Scripture lets us know that, that this isn't complicated. It is what? Believe. Hear and believe. That, that's all that it says. That's what you must do. But that is an amazing work of God to get to the point. Why? Because we are so much like those that are looking at Jesus and going, nah, I don't think so. You're a whole lot like my dad. I mean, come on, you're a carpenter. But instead, what we see is God is so gracious to us. He opens our, our ears so that we might hear the precious good news of the Lord Jesus Christ and his gospel that we might trust in Him, that we might see the holiness of God, that we might understand our own sinfulness, that we might come to the place to where we recognize there is no other way for our sins to be forgiven except for trusting in Jesus Christ, that He stood in the gap on our behalf. And as a result, He then becomes my sin bearer. He becomes my scapegoat and he took that which should have rightfully been reserved for me when he died upon the cross oh the goodness of our God and notice verse 25 this should this should remind us all what does Jesus say an hour is coming no it's actually come it's here right now 
when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. Who's the dead? It's each one of us. We're dead in our sins and our trespasses. That's what Romans 3 teaches us. But God, in His infinite grace and the wonder of the gospel, as you hear the gospel, what happens? He takes you from death and He places you into life. How? By hearing His voice. Hearing the voice of Jesus, so to speak, believing in Him. Do you remember when you believed for the first time in the Lord Jesus Christ? Is it etched forever in your memory? It doesn't have to be. I, I know some, well, I don't know if I was saved when I was five or I was eight. Others of us, we, I wasn't born in a Christian home. I, I remember vividly going to, going to youth group just because I wanted to play volleyball and find a new girlfriend when I was in junior high. And I heard the gospel again and again and again. Then I went to Hume Lake, and it was this man, Steve Russo, an Italian with a big, booming voice. And I, I remember looking at this fire as we sat outside for campfire night. And it was there that I fully grasped for the very first time the significance of what Jesus did upon that cross for me. And that if I didn't believe in him, that I would spend forever in hell because of my sin. And so I trusted in him that night and I believed unto him for salvation. And you know what? It changed me forever. Who knows what I'd be doing right now if that didn't happen? That was when I heard his voice. Do you remember when you heard his voice? Amen for the opportunity to think back and remember all that God did and to recognize that there is life in the Son. Fourth and finally, what we see is this. He and the Father are one in their power to judge. In their power to judge. Look back with me at verse 22. And we'll go on to 23. For not even the Father judges anyone, but... He has given all judgment to the Son so that all will honor the Son even as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent Him. some point, everyone will honor the Son. Everyone will recognize who Jesus Christ is. If they don't believe that and recognize it now and honor Him, then they will honor Him as unbelievers before they get sentenced to death, which is eternal torment. It's it's not a physical death. It's not annihilation. That's not what we see in Scripture. It's an eternal punishment in hell. And what we see here is that this authority to judge has been given from the Father to the Son. And as I said earlier, this just shows us the, the intricate dealings and relationship that God the Father has with God the Son. And how Jesus Christ will one day not just judge. Look at what it says in verses 27. And, and we'll wrap up our time here. He, and he gave him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Speaking again to the fact that unlike any of the other personhood of the Trinity, Jesus Christ's job was to come as a man and to purchase redemption. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming in which all who are in the tombs will hear his voice. All the dead will hear the voice of the Lord Jesus Christ. And will come forth. 
and those who did the good deeds to a resurrection of life. So those of us who know the Lord Jesus Christ, it's the only way that you can do good deeds according to the biblical perspective of good deeds is if you are reborn. As Jesus has already told Nicodemus that you must be born again. That's the only way that you can do good deeds, deeds unto righteousness. And if that is the case for you, then you will be raised to enjoy life with Jesus Christ forever. But notice those who commit the evil deeds to a what? A resurrection of judgment. That terminology means that they will stand under judgment and be sentenced. That will happen to one and all who do not trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And isn't it amazing that in the the midst of this, he tells him, don't marvel at this. I know that you've seen lots of amazing things, but what you're going to see is really going to take your breath away, and it's going to be something that you for certain did not expect. That when you see what my Father has in store for what I will do, I will not just resurrect Lazarus from the dead. I myself will be raised. And then I will raise up all others, those who believe in me and those who do not believe in me. And then they will, those who do not believe in me will stand before me. Let's just go there. Revelation chapter 20. This is what he's speaking of. And what is so encouraging is that this is not the judgment for believers. The judgment for believers is called a bema seat of Christ, spoken of in Corinthians. And there our, our works will be judged, our righteous works, whether or not they are done in the power of the Spirit or done in the power of the flesh. Those that are done in the power of the flesh, they will disappear like wood, hay, and stubble. Those that are done in the power of the Holy Spirit will come forth as as gold, silver, and precious stones, and we'll be able to lay them before the Lord's feet in gratitude, adoration, and worship to Him. And you know what I want to do with all of this pastoral ministry? I want it to come back as crowns of gold that I can just lay at the Lord's feet and say, you are worthy. You are oh so worthy. And I want to be a spokesman. I want to be one that was faithful in letting those who were going to pass into a Christless eternity know what Jesus did. That he indeed is coming back. And the first time he came, this is how you can reconcile John 3, what is it, 17 with this. The first time he came, he came for salvation. He came to purchase salvation. He came to redeem the lost. So he didn't come for judgment, but he is coming back again. And when he comes back again, it will be for judgment. It'll be as a conquering king, as a righteous judge. And this is what he's going to do. And make no mistake, this isn't figurative. This is literally what is going to happen. Then I saw a great white throne and him, capital H, because it's Jesus Christ who sat upon it, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away. Is this a mild, meek man? No, this is the God-man, the Lord Jesus Christ, who's not going to be anything like he came the first time as the Lamb of God. This is the roaring lion coming. 
from whose presence earth and heaven fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great and the small. It doesn't matter who you are. Standing before the throne and books were opened and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. So if your name is in the book of life, then you won't be standing in this one, in this judgment. You will already be with the Lord. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, every one of them according to their deeds. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. And who is the one leading all of this? It is the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't see any jury. We see one judge. We see one pronouncing judgment. I would even go a little further and say the very wrath of God that is poured out is the wrath of Jesus Christ. That he has been given that power. So what a blessing we have to, in gratitude and thankfulness, Take what he says for us in John chapter 5 and follow his example as we wrap things up with verse 30. If there was anybody that you'd thought could do something on his own initiative, on his own will, with his own desires, it would have been Jesus Christ. This should be an example to each one of us that we must live our lives to do that which the Father wants us to do, to do his will, not our will. What, what does that mean? That means when you buy a house, that you, what you should do is you should spend a whole bunch of time seeking the Lord as to whether or not you should buy this house. I'm really speaking to myself. All the way, every decision, how much does, does God come in to your vantage point in your decision-making process? Look at Jesus. Let's take this with us on the way out. I can do nothing on my own initiative. As I hear, I judge. That, that lets us know he's being informed. Are you being informed? I'm not talking about the news. I'm not talking about what, what, whatever ad or, or whatever, what do you call it? Like YouTube channel that you're listening to and, and all of this or, or your favorite pastor. No, I'm talking about God. I'm talking about the Lord. I'm talking about spending time in his word that is then refreshing you, that is then cleansing you, teaching you, washing you, so that when these decisions come, you can give them to the Lord. And you know what? He will guide you. And he will give you his peace so that you will know, man, that's the house. Oh, that's the car. Oh, that's the one. That's who you want me to marry. It's Shannon. And I know it. And, and it's emphatic. And thank you, Lord. My wife isn't even here. <laughs> and I can do nothing on my own initiative. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just. Just let these words sink in. Everything that he is going to say as judge, it will be ju just. Because he is the perfect one. Because I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, our prayer is that we would go forth and do the will of him who sends, sends us out into this world. That we would do your will 
Lord Jesus, we know that what you desire for us is your great commission. Lord, use this church, use our lives that more and more would come to hear the truth that we've heard this morning. That you are not just a good teacher, although you are the greatest teacher. You are not just a philosopher. You're not just a moral man. You are God. And there is no other way for someone to be saved but through you and believing in you. May our response now in song be a true reflection of hearts that are just overwhelmed with joy and gratitude over your goodness to us, Lord, and your love on display, poured out, and what you've revealed to us in your word, knowing that we have a hope that goes well beyond this grave, well beyond the cemeteries that that we go to periodically, well beyond those that have gone before us, Lord, for we know that in your appointed time, you are going to raise us, and that we will be with you forever for all those who know you and have believed in you as, as our Savior. So we rejoice this morning in you and, a wonder, and what a wonderful and holy God that you are. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.